Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Yak Talk, Hacking the Boards. I'm Ben. And I'm Yako. We really hope that you enjoyed episode seven, our first soap note. Welcome to episode eight on valvular disease. Now, starting with our review of systems, what I really like about valvular disease is that it's systematic. There are four valves that can be doing something wrong, and really only two ways of them being broken. Also, you pretty rarely have anything wrong with two of the four valves. So you're basically left with a two by two table to know how they present and what might cause them. That is aortic plus stenosis, aortic plus regurge, mitral plus regurge slash prolapse, and mitral plus stenosis. That's exactly right. And another great part of valve disease is that your physical exam findings are key. Um, so in the podcast setting, that can be challenged. We'll try to do our best to emulate some of those murmurs at the risk of maybe embarrassing ourselves. But um, another great resource is the University of Michigan's heart murmur practice, which if you Google, it'll be the first link. Uh, so with that said, let's jump in. All right. So our first case is a 74-year-old female with hyperlipidemia who comes into the office with lightheadedness and presyncope for the past few months, especially when she's exercising. Her blood pressure is 110 over 95. Exam shows three to six systolic murmur at the right upper sternal border. It radiates to the carotid arteries. You also hear an S4. You also feel slow rising and delayed carotid pulses. You also have an extra intense PMI. <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot of info, Ben. Are, are you sure we need all that info? <laughs> yeah, I actually did that on purpose because these exam questions love throwing lots of these objective findings, especially the physical exam when they ask these questions. They also like to ask questions about expected physical exam findings. I say, let's break it down for the listeners. Absolutely, yeah, let's do it. So with just the clinical presentation of progressive lightheadedness and presyncope, which valvular disorder do you think that we'd be talking about here? So just based on those alone, it sounds like severe symptomatic aortic stenosis. Since the other valvular disorders don't really cause syncope and aortic stenosis is usually asymptomatic until it's moderate to severe. Right. Why do, I think, why do you think I mentioned her blood pressure? So in aortic stenosis, especially by the time you're symptomatic, you actually get a narrowed pulse pressure since there's less blood making it into the systemic circulation during systole. Well put. And just to remind you, the blood pressure was 110 over 95. So the pulse pressure was only 15. Next is this three out of six systolic murmur. What's the classic type of murmur that we hear in aortic stenosis? So classically, it'll be described as a crescendo decrescendo murmur. I am going to demand that you do that for the audience. <laughs> so if you're listening, uh, it'll sound something like, and that'll occur in systole, that is between S1 and S2. Do you, how, how would you rate that, that performance? I, that was beautiful. 10 out of 10 on, oh on my your gosh. murmur emulation. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah, no problem. Okay, so then when does this murmur peak, even though, of course, they could probably hear it from your, your incredible rendition, early or late systole? Yeah, so classically uh, late systole. Mm -hmm. And why is it a systolic murmur? So aortic stenosis is a systolic murmur because what you're hearing is blood being injected out of the left ventricle through a tight or stenotic valve. And we know that that happens during systole. So you'll hear it when the LV is squeezing during LV systole. Right. And what are some ways they'll get at the, quote, aortic area on the exam? 
So they'll mention something about right upper sternal border classically, or sometimes they'll say the right first or right second intercostal space. Yeah, it also helps that there aren't other valve listening areas on the right. So if it's on the right, you're going to start thinking about aorta. What about these carotid findings? So aortic stenosis classically, but not always, will radiate to the carotids. Uh, and that slow rising delayed carotid pulse that was described in the question stem uh, has a name, a fancy name. It's called pul uh, pulsus parvus et tardis. And that's also pretty classic for aortic stenosis. And very fancy sounding. It, it kind of sounds mm -hmm. like a Harry Potter spell to me. Pulsus it really parvus does, et tardis. But it's not magic that makes it happen. What, what is it? that makes Paul parvis, oh my gosh, pulsus parvis et tardis happen. So, so it actually stems from, from the obstructed LV outflow tract, aka the aortic stenosis, uh, which reduces pulse pressure, just like we said, and therefore weakens and delays the systemic pulsation that normally happens. That makes a lot of sense. What about this S4 and the intense PMI that we mentioned? So yeah, like you said, this patient had an S4, an intense PMI on exam. So over time, aortic stenosis causes diastolic heart failure, or at least it can, uh, which we talked about in a previous episode. But basically the left ventricle pumping against the stenotic valve will become very stiff and enlarged from pushing against that obstruction. And the enlargement le leads to the, the PMI, the displaced PMI. And the fact that it's thick now and stiff means that uh, you'll get an S4. What are we missing for the physical exam? So yeah, this is, a, this is a key one. So aortic stenosis will also classically cause a soft and single S2 during inspiration. Yeah, they love to test that one because everyone forgets it amongst all these other great physical exam findings. Why does that happen? So basically the stenotic valve uh, takes longer to close because it's, it's hardened, it's calcific, and it also closes more quietly. So it actually ends up joining with the normally distinct pulmonic valve sound. So now that we've covered a lot of these physical exam findings, let's think bigger picture. And you actually uh, alluded to it. What's probably the cause of this person's aortic stenosis? So the patient is, is 74 years old. And when we think about patients with aortic stenosis who are like in the 60 to 70 or older range, we think about calcifications of the valve associated with aging. Uh, this is also referred to as senile calcific or sclerocalcific changes of the aortic valve. So now I have a whole counter case, which is a bigger version of a counter cue for you, uh, just based on that last question. So let's say we had the exact same presentation, but instead of a 74-year-old, we have a 32-year-old female uh, presenting with aortic stenosis. So Ben, how does a 32-year-old get aortic stenosis, most likely? They were probably born with a bicuspid aortic valve. Perfect. Um, and let's say she also has a palpable thrill in the suprasternal notch. What might be causing her aortic stenosis then? They would call that supravalvular aortic stenosis, aka coarctation of the aorta, counter-counter-cue. What congenital chromosomal abnormality can give you bicuspid aortic valve and or coarctation? That's a good counter-counter-cue. That would be uh, Turner syndrome, which is uh, when you have an XO genotype. And what other difference would we find on her physical exam if she had coarctation of the aorta? Classically, we would see lower blood pressure in her left arm than her right. Perfect. And that's very high yield. And if we're thinking more generally, if we're suspecting any valvular pathology, what's the diagnostic tool we typically use? Echo. 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 Oh my God, I hear that. Maybe yeah, we should fix that. We'll fix that in post. We, we will. We will. <laughs> uh, and, and how, speaking of fixing things, how do we fix the valve? 
valve replacement if it's severe enough. And so that's actually kind of the nice thing about this episode. There's not a lot of treatment algorithms to remember because in the end, with severe valvular disease, you go to valve replacement. Exactly. So just to recap aortic stenosis before we move on, which is probably the highest yield of the valvular disorders, we have a stenotic aortic valve from either sclerotic changes with aging or a bicuspid valve or coarctation of the aorta. And generally, uh, they'll present with, uh, when it's severe, they'll present with exertional syncope and lightheadedness and a crescendo-decrescendo late-peaking systolic murmur that will be best heard in the right upper sternal border, and it'll radiate to the carotids. So that's a mouthful, but that's pretty much everything you need to know. Yeah, um, and honestly, it sounds like you're ready to present to the attending on, on that murmur. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Ben. I appreciate that. So yeah, let's move on to the next case. Yeah, this one's a little different since they, they like to test on the etiology more, more than the findings. So we have a 42-year-old female born and raised in England. Oh, we have a British, a British uh, patient. Yeah, we have a on our British podcast. patient. Okay. We want to bring, bring them over from the other side of the pond. Okay. Uh, anyway, so, so our Brit presents with palpitations for the past three months. Her vital signs are normal. Exam shows a holosystolic murmur loudest at the apex and a third heart sound. What kind of murmur does that sound like? So this sounds like classic mitral regurgitation um, because A, it's best heard at the apex uh, and sort of the, the quality of it being holosystolic, as we'll talk about, points a lot towards mitral regurg. Why is this a systolic murmur? So if you have a leaky mitral valve, thinking about our anatomy, when our left ventricle squeezes during systole, right, blood will not only shoot in the normal direction, it'll also shoot backwards through the mitral valve. So it occurs during systole. And where might this murmur radiate? So unlike aortic stenosis, which radiates to the carotids, mitral regurge classically radiates to the axilla. And what's another way mitral regurge might present clinically? Clinically, they might present with dyspnea on exertion or even chest pain. And how did this 42-year-old get my mitral regurge in the first place? So common things being common, and given that she's from a, a resource-rich country, mitral valve prolapse would be the most common cause of her mitral valve regurge. And what's the pathophysiology behind that that they like to throw out on exams? Yeah, so typically pathophys-wise, they'll mention something like myxomatous valvular degeneration. That's, that's often how they'll word it. Yeah, side note, if you want to sound smart at dinner parties, just say myxomatous valvular degeneration, and it works every time. <laughs> but back to, back to our patient, let's say we took a time machine to before the regurge developed, and, and now she just has mitral valve prolapse. What else would we hear on physical exam? So classically for mitral valve prolapse, they'll describe a mid-systolic click. Right. And what causes that? Yeah. So, so initially I actually thought that it was the valve itself making that click sound, but it's actually the chordae tendine snapping when they're suddenly stretched by the prolapsing valve. So it's the chordae tendine producing it. Yeah. Not, not as interesting as myxomenous degeneration, but, but still pretty cool. <laughs> Agreed. So lastly, for this case, why does the patient have a third heart sound? So we get a third heart sound or an S3 anytime we have increased blood volume. Uh, and with mitral regurgitation, there's, uh, you know, it follows the same rule. We have increased blood volume in the left ventricle because you have excess regurgitated blood returning on top of your normal preload in the left ventricle. Okay. And now that we're done with that case, before we move on, what are three other testable causes of mitral regurge? Three other causes of mitral regurge that come up on exams. Dilated cardiomyopathy is one papillary muscle rupture, specifically in right-sided MIs, and untreated acute rheumatic fever. All of those cause mitral regurg. But why does dilated cardiomyopathy result in mitral regurgitation? 
So if your lap ventricle becomes suddenly or over time very dilated, you will stretch the mitral annulus and make the valve leaky that way. Okay, so moving on to our next case where we'll explore a different murmur. Let's say we have an 80-year-old male uh, coming in for a well visit. His blood pressure is 140 over 60. Physical exam reveals head bobbing, bounding pulses, and the patient becomes uncomfortably aware of his heartbeat when he lies on his left side. And so what do we think is going on with this physical exam and what murmur do we think? So those physical exam findings sound like hyperdynamic circulation to me, and that would be from aortic regurgitation. Perfect. So aortic regurge. And what the heck is hyperdynamic circulation for our listeners? So the heck that hyperdynamic <laughs> circulation is, is any situation in which increased stroke volume results in an elevated pulse pressure, as in the difference between systolic and diastolic blood pressure. And what does the aortic regurge murmur sound like? It's described as an early diastolic decrescendo murmur. And I I'm going to try to do it for the audience. What do you think? Do it. Do it. I'll give you a rating. Okay. What do you think? I, I give you a nine and a half out of 10. Oh, wow. What did I lose the half point for? Uh, just just kind of being Ben. You know what I mean? Yeah, you, no, you I, get lose a half I get that. I get that. But really, really good job. Um, Thanks. Where, where do you hear it best? So it actually depends on the etiology, which is something that makes this more interesting. For aortic root dilation as the etiology, you'll hear it best at the aortic area, aka the right upper sternal border that we spoke about. For purely valvular disease, though, you'll hear it best at the left sternal border. Great. And, and that blew my mind when I learned that as well. Uh, and speaking of aortic root dilation, what causes root dilation typically? So Marfan disease or syphilis, which is odd because it's actually the most common cause of aortic regurge in developed nations, even though neither of those things are that common, which really goes to show, you know, how, how kind of like lower yield aortic regurge is compared to some of the other valvular diseases we've been talking about. Absolutely. And what other things can cause aortic regurge? So oddly, bicuspid valve can go either way. And so we already spoke about with the aortic stenosis, it can also cause regurge. And also, although rare rheumatic heart disease or endocarditis can affect the aortic valve, even though it's typically the mitral. And one thing uh, I, I meant to mention earlier uh, is just to address why aortic regurge is a diastolic murmur. And the reason for that is uh, if you think about what happens during diastole, right, the heart is filling and that if you have a leaky aortic valve, the blood that was supposed to go in the forward direction can uh, flow backwards through the leaky aortic valve into the left ventricle. So that's why it's a diastolic murmur. Um, right, and going right. back to our patient, let's say we get an echo which shows severe aortic regurge and a dilated left ventricle. So how is he relatively asymptomatic, even though he has really bad disease? So, and they like to test on this, the eccentric left ventricular hypertrophy is originally a good thing. It originally compensates by increasing compliance because it allows more stretch essentially uh, to allow all that backed up fluid. And that allows for a normal cardiac output. This later will turn into a systolic heart failure picture though. Perfect, well put. All right, let's yeah. move on to our next case. Our next one and the last of the kind of four big murmurs. So we have a 40 year old male who comes into clinic with six months of progressive exertional dyspnea, palpitations and cough. The patient emigrated from Cambodia two years ago. Exam reveals an early diastolic sound followed by a diastolic murmur. 
what murmur is this? So this sounds like mitral stenosis based on some of his risk factors and the description of the murmur, um, but we're going to dive into it with some more questions. Right. So what's this early diastolic sound about? So that early diastolic sound is what we call the opening snap, and that comes from having a, a tense stenotic valve. And what's the likely etiology here? Most likely chronic rheumatic heart disease from an untreated strep infection. That's, that's kind of the picture that I'm painting in my head. Yeah. And what paints that picture for you in the STEM? So, so typically in the STEM, they will describe the patient uh, as coming from uh, a country with maybe less resources than, than other countries, um, places where patients are more likely to have an untreated strep infection, essentially. Right. But it is important to note that they don't need to give those predisposing risk factors as long as they, they give you enough objective information. Absolutely. Right. So why is mitral stenosis a diastolic murmur? It's a diastolic murmur because if you think about a stenotic mitral valve, blood is going to flow through that from the left atrium into the left ventricle during diastole, right? During filling. And so you will hear the blood passing through the tight stenotic valve during diastole. Right. And what structural change will you see on echo in chronic mitral stenosis? So, right. So chronically, you'll, you'll actually see that the left atrium is dilated. You'll see left atrial dilation. And that's, again, if you have a stenotic valve, a narrowed passage between left atrium and left ventricle, you will have more blood at any given time in the left atrium than normal. So right. left atrium dilated. And what two complications does this put the patient at risk for? So number one is AFib, right? Because our AFib is thought to originate in the pulmonary veins. So if blood is backing up because of the narrowed valve, you can get AFib. And number two, you can form a mural thrombus um, that can lead to stroke. Why was this patient coughing, do you think? Yeah, so the coughing probably stems from blood backing up into the lungs for that same reason, which can eventually develop into pulmonary edema and even right-sided heart failure. Right, exactly. And do you want to take us away with, with kind of the last case for this episode? Yep, let's do it. So this is a lower yield murmur, and we're going to touch more on this in another episode, but we still wanted to include it. So... Then let's say we have a 35-year-old female history of polysubstance abuse who presents with one week of fevers, fatigue, and chest pain. Physical exam shows JVD, lower extremity edema, and a holosystolic murmur best heard during inspiration. So what does this clinical picture look like to you? It sounds globally like infective endocarditis. Perfect. And given this patient's risk factors, which valve is likely infected and why? I would guess the tricuspid because the patient has risk factors for intravenous drug use. And the first valve after your veins is the tricuspid. Great. And with tricuspid regurgitation, which is likely what's going on here, um, why is that a holosystolic murmur? So an infected valve becomes regurgitant. And just like with mitral regurg, fluid will be shot back up during right ventricular systole. Great. And how do we know that, that this isn't mitral stenosis? If a murmur worsens with inspiration, then it is a right-sided murmur, period. And where would we hear tricuspid regurge best? The tricuspid area, which makes sense. Uh, and <laughs> that's the left lower sternal border. And Ben, will we have another episode with more dedicated time to discuss endocarditis? Yes. Yes, we will, Gakko. Don't you yeah. worry. Beautiful. Before, we, before we let you go, we do want to wrap up uh, with a quick, quick review without cases of other things which might cause adults to have heart murmurs, but that aren't necessarily uh, purely valvular diseases. So the first one is hypertrophic 
obstructive cardiomyopathy or hokum, which causes a holosystolic murmur. And Yaakov, quickly, how can you tell the difference between that and aortic stenosis? Yeah, so they're very similar, but with hokum, the murmur is best heard at the left sternal border. And the maneuvers that we're going to get into in the next episode uh, can also help us differentiate between the two. Perfect, perfect. Uh, and then the last two for you are, are our septal defects. So you have your ventricular septal defect, which will be a blowing holosystolic murmur, best heard at the lower left sternal border. Yes, that is the same as the tricuspid area. And then the atrial septal defect, which is a holosystolic murmur, best heard at the left upper sternal border with a wide fixed split S2. And those are all buzzwords for those abnormalities. So uh, thank you for joining us for this episode. And we hope you tune in to the next episode, which we'll be talking about maneuvers for assessing these different murmurs. 